Hey, thank you so much for gathering with us once again, wherever you are and whomever you are with. Uh, if you need help finding or forming a community group, please reach out to us, info at lifechurchvirginia.com, and we'll do our best to find a place where you can get planted in this season. Speaking of the season, you know, there's this old English proverb I think that many of us would be familiar with. Necessity is the mother of invention. That notion communicates that it isn't until you really need something that that thing shows itself, that, that you then come up with a creative way or solution uh, to add to your life. I felt much the same way towards this season we're in. It's a troubling season. It's a frustrating season. It makes me think of Jesus' diatribe in John 14, 15, and 16, where he talks a lot about, hey, don't let your heart be troubled, even though the world's folding into itself. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There are going to be tribulations. There's going to be trials. There's going to be stuff. And I think we can all agree that we are in the middle of a lot of stuff. That makes me wonder, what is good about the trouble? Jesus talks about not letting our heart be troubled, but the troubling circumstances, apparently as we lean into his presence, may be beneficial for our souls. In much the same way necessity is the mother of invention, I've been praying into this thought that trouble and interruption, which is what we very much are in, trouble and interruption is the environment of revelation and transformation. It's because we're in these troubled times that maybe we are picking up our head and realizing some things need to go. Other things need to change. Perhaps there are pieces that need to be majored on and focused on once again, refreshed. Let me just encourage you as I've encouraged myself this past week or two. Yes, these are troubling times. This is all an interruption and fill in the blank, whatever that means for you, homeschooling, working remotely or, or whatever that looks like. But could we allow the words of Jesus, hey, let not your heart be troubled, the core of who you are, and allow perhaps the world's troubling waters be a place of revelation and transformation for us. You know, last week, our practice was scripture reading. A scripture reading can oftentimes be just checked off, and I hope you were able to engage it every day and allow really the scriptures to read you. Let me challenge you as well that these practices that we enter into, yes, we do them for a week as a church, but let us continue the practices. The more we continue these practices, the more they will nudge us to transformation without conclusion. The more we will allow God's spirit and presence to really be available and shaping of who we are. Let's read our, our scriptures for today's conversation, starting with Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And Paul in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in this way. We thank you uh, for the word of God that is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. 
And so we ask for your presence to be with us right here and right now. Mold us and shape us. Make us more into your image. We pray for healing. We pray for growth. We pray for change. We pray for our world. We pray for our country. We ask for your help in every form and facet. But in these moments, as we open up the word of God, we just we do set our attention and our affections on you. Just mold us and shape us. Make us more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Is anyone else tired? Tired of all the input. So many voices, too many channels. Remember when there were just like 40 channels or 50 channels? Now we're all excited that there are like 3,000 channels on our televisions. But can I suggest there might be too many channels? A plethora of opinions, countless perspective, uh, so much data, so many facts that honestly can be made to say whatever the people who are showing you that data, showing you those facts, they can make that stuff say whatever it is they want it to say. I would like to suggest that the so many sources really goes one of two ways in all of our lives. The first is that what you give yourself to will generate you further in that direction. What you choose to give yourself to will further generate you in that direction. What news show you listen to, what podcast you adhere to, what conversations you routinely have with people. And God knows this. He knows that we are worshipers. And if you think that worship is just confined to a, a time when you're singing praise and there's a song, you're wrong. Worship is about what you're giving your affection to, what you're giving your time to, your focus to. This is why when God gives the Ten Commandments, which again are not rules and regulations that we have to follow, but rules and offerings that if we follow them, we will find ourselves moving from bondage to breakthrough and freedom. The first two of the Ten Commandments are all about your worship. Don't have any other gods but me. Don't have any idols that you worship. And maybe you don't struggle with wooden idols at home. But the fact of the matter is we have idols in all of our lives. What we give our time, attention, and affections to. This is one of the largest idols in my life. I struggle daily with how much time and affection I give my phone. It used to be the first thing I looked at. It was on my nightstand. And I realized, you know what? That might not be very healthy. So I moved it across the room. Then it was like the second thing that I would look to every morning. So now I keep it downstairs because I turn to it. I start my day with it. I end my day with it. Church, can we really be challenged to focus on what it is? Just at least be aware of what it is we are giving ourselves to because those things are generating us further in that singular direction. Number two, speaking of many sources... The volume of everything makes nothing comprehensible. Are you with me? When everything is loud, it's hard to hear anything. At the Ferenbach house, routinely we'll be in the kitchen. All of us, our house is full, and yet we are all within a 20-foot square space. Alexa is playing, the television is on, Jude's on his phone, Ace is on his phone, there's music blaring, the dog, which we love, is new, is barking and running around, and then when it's not around, we're wondering where it is, and is it doing something somewhere that it shouldn't? My wife is talking, I'm trying to talk, we're all engaging, there's cooking happening, and in the midst of all of it, we're all confused. We're all 
not really hearing anything at all. Let me just say this. We're not built for this much. We are not built, any of us, for this much. Now we're talking about David and the life of David as a template in imagination and practice. Admittedly, David is blessed that he doesn't have to manage the tensions of social media, cable news, phone calls, text messages, FaceTime, Zoom calls, uh, politicians armed with inflammatory rhetoric that are mongering fear and hate constantly. But suffice it to say, David's got a lot of people with their individual voices. He's got Samuel, the prophet. He's got Eliab, Abinadab, and his other five brothers. The prophet Nathan later in his life, Jesse, Goliath, Saul, Doeg, Joab, Abishai, his confidence, the mighty men of valor. He's got wives, wives. Not just a wife to listen to, he's got multiple wives, Michael, Abigail, Bathsheba. He's got his close friend, Jonathan. There are a lot of voices in David's life. Let's talk about who's talking to you. What are the voices in your life? Your spouse, your kids, family members, friends, your, your boss, co-workers, hopefully a therapist, the guy at Trader Joe's that you always interact with and talk to, social media. Social media, just for a second, because we already have mentioned six or seven voices, social media isn't just a singular voice. Have you ever had someone tell you something as if it were a fact? And then you ask them, hey, where did you hear that? And you assume that they researched it or they discovered it themselves and they found out, you found out, that they heard it on a social media post who was really, honestly, somebody that they don't know from an organization they have no affiliation with. 15 years ago, if someone came and told me, hey, I heard this from a guy who heard it from a lady who found it from a guy that heard it from another guy that really kind of caught wind of it from another woman, I would be like, dude, I'm not listening to that. That's not even remotely understandable. Who's, who's saying what to whom? But this is what we've done, and we give ourselves to social media as a platform of fact, when more times than not, I would suggest it may be more fiction than anything else. Simply put, David's got a lot of voices he's listening to. We have a lot of voices that we are listening to. It is overly simplistic and not realistic. More to the point, it's not healthy to expect the only other voice we should be listening to is God. I know that preaches easy. Hey, just tune everything out and listen to Him. But it lives really hard. There's much to be said about hearing God. And, and today, in this context, I want to talk about traversing all the voices. If you're taking notes today, this is imagination and practice, traversing all the voices. Let me lead with this. Jesus doesn't just gather others to himself. He also connects others with each other. Nobody apart from Jesus does anything alone. And a large part of what Jesus does is assembling others. So there's that. And let me be honest today. It's an indictment against the church, not just life church, but churches in general. It's an indictment as we have endeavored to lean into community groups where people say, yes, we want relationship. Yes, we want fellowship. But they don't have any relationships. They don't have any existing fellowships to turn to in a moment and a season like this. That makes me beg the question, hey, what are we doing? How are we investing ourselves in a church, a community of faith, when we don't have any community. You don't need to know everybody. And I, as the pastor, 
don't need to be your best friend. That isn't going to be a healthy church. You don't need to know everybody, but somebody needs to know you. And knowing is always a two-way street. There has to be a reaching out. There has to be a responding. A huge part of hearing God, and that's what we're talking about today, a huge part of hearing Him is also hearing them. David, we already went through, we're going to work through some other voices. Moses had voices that spoke into his life. The early church is littered with leaders, and it's hard to tell who's number one, which is what the American church always wants to know. And I would suggest that they did that on purpose. The early church was about community and moving into Revelation together. Among all those voices I surveyed in the life of David, yes, they were all speaking to him at different times, but he didn't offer his shaping to all of them. Jesse, his father, has opinions and puts David in difficult places. Eliab and Abinadab have their opinions about David. Goliath speaks to David. But David doesn't offer himself to what they have to say. He doesn't allow himself to be shaped by their opinions and their words. Saul, King Saul, is an interesting one and and worth studying. Because although he's king, he's a little bit off kilter, isn't he? And David has to navigate, I want to honor which is something that is to be given. I want to honor King Saul, but I don't have to respect because respect is earned. Honor is given. Respect is earned. He can honor King Saul, but not respect the wishes of King Saul. This is difficult in our democratic government. This is difficult in families and homes with people's healthy and unhealthy interactions. We have to learn to manage the tension and the difference between honor and respect. David has all of these voices, but he really only gives shaping influence to a few. Samuel, Jonathan, Nathan, different times, different seasons, there are a few others. Who do you offer shaping influence to in your life? Who do you offer shaping influence to in your life? And let me just say what shaping influence looks like, at least from my perspective, is that in the midst of any moment, whose voice do you give more authority to than your own voice? Who can say yes to your no and no to your yes, and you listen to them? Church, that means you have given that person shaping influence. There's this well-known moment in the life of David we're going to pull from this week as well as next. It's when David's at a place called Ziklag. Now again, just background, David is at Ziklag because Samuel's voice brought him there. The anointing in 1 Samuel 16, the calling out, the energizing opportunity that Samuel speaks into David, this brings him to Ziklag. It also comes from Jonathan's voice. In 1 Samuel 20, it's Jonathan who encourages David to escape and helps him. Jonathan's voice brings David to Ziklag. Ziklag is this town where he and his men, it's essentially their base. They go out raiding. They go out doing their whatever it is they're doing, and they come back time and again. Their homes are there, their families are there, their wives and their children are there. And in 1 Samuel 30, David and his men go out and they're doing their daily routine. They're protecting the countryside. They're just interacting with the world as they normally do. They've left their wives and their children in the town of Ziklag. 
And they come back in 1 Samuel 30 to find their town destroyed, burned to the ground. And here's the kicker. The women and children have not been murdered. They've been taken captive. To be murdered is one thing. To be taken captive, to be taken and moved into slavery is another thing altogether because you know that they're alive and their life is now a tortured existence. This is a difficult moment to say the least. And the voices that are in David's life in this moment are various. He has, first of all, and we need to all manage this ourselves, he has his own voice that he's listening to. The men are speaking around him. The smoldering city is speaking to him. The absent loved ones are speaking to him. And if you're wondering, Christoph, how does a smoldering city have a voice? How how do absent loved ones have a voice? Have you ever had a car break down and it's sitting in your front driveway? Have you ever had that thing in your house that you knew needed to be fixed? Did you have that nagging injury? Those things that just speak to you again and again and again, that wear and tear, that don't just have white noise in your life, but painfully enter your thought process over and over again. Those are voices. The point is, there's a lot going on in the moment. In 1 Samuel 30, it says, David was greatly distressed, verse 6, for the people, his men, spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in their soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He, God, answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue David has all of these voices and he chooses to lament, which we'll speak to next week, and he chooses to pray. Humans are largely creatures of habit and action. We don't take time. We don't make time to pray. We don't sit in a manufactured space to seek That's too passive for us, particularly as Americans. We got to move, we got to do, we got to conquer, we have to buy, we have to sell, we have to take ground, we have to do things. Now, I'm not saying that those actions are wrong. I'm simply suggesting that as we look at the life of David, we would do well to learn prayer as a starting point. Prayer as a midpoint, prayer as an every point, instead of always as an exasperated last ditch wild card swipe at the heavens, hoping for something to just happen. In Philippians 4 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus himself says, Hey, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't worry about tomorrow, he says. Jesus himself was a man of prayer, continuously escaping, getting away to seek the Father. Furthermore, and again, talking about lives that are interrupted and troubled, When life gets loud and confusing, let's just all agree, life doesn't have to get loud and confusing. Life often is loud and confusing. We have to stop imagining we'll be able to hear God clearly in the cauldron moments when we don't listen for him in the quiet. David developed a character as he was a shepherd 
to interact with, to worship, to pray. And he references that throughout his life. And he continues to enter into that character of prayer and asking and interacting with God throughout his days. I want to work through these verses that I just read and talk about the practicalities of what prayer is. So, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed of the people, spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Prayer works in every season of life. Whether David was shepherding, whether David was kinging, which is a new verb, whether David was trying to figure out what the next step is after his wives and his children were taken and and people want to murder him, David knows that prayer is available. No matter what season of life you're in, you could be on a hilltop or in the valley or somewhere in between. Even may I suggest in a pandemic, even in an election season, prayer works in every season of life. He goes on, but David, prayer is often disruptive. But is a coordinating conjunction. It connects two phrases, but I would like to suggest that it's a discoordinating conjunction. He has these circumstances going on. He was distressed. People wanted to murder him. They were bitter in their souls. He was bitter in his soul. But prayer is often disruptive. It's not what you feel like doing. It's not maybe what you want to do. Prayer is often disruptive. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Thirdly, Prayer necessitates a personal fastening to God. That word encouraged himself, encouraged, actually, and strengthened comes from the original language, kazak, which means to grab hold of. We think too often of strengthened and and encouraged. These words of people coming from the outside or doing something, it just means you're grabbing hold for dear life. David didn't wait for someone else to come to him. David understood, I have to go to God. Please hear me. It's not because we're making the first move. We are responding to God's present availability. But David encouraged, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Prayer necessitates a personal fastening to God. Rather than fastening to fear, fastening to worry, fastening to concern, we fasten to so many other things. We would be well served to be like David and understand that prayer necessitates our personal fastening to God. Nobody else can do it for us. Your parents can't do it for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. Your group leader can't do it for you. Prayer necessitates that you you personally fasten to God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7, And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Prayer uses only a manufactured space. David asks for the ephod, which brings him into an opportunity, into a moment. Even in the midst of the surrounding circumstances, it brings him into another space. It's an article that helps him refocus. Prayer uses only a manufactured space. I'm not suggesting you have to be in a place or building. All I'm suggesting is that you have to manufacture something, some place, some circumstance where you can move out of where you are and then position yourself to be available to God's presence. Sometimes it'll be easier than others. Sometimes it'll be more difficult. Sometimes it'll feel right. Sometimes it'll feel difficult. It'll feel bad. 
but prayer necessitates that we manufacture a space. He gets the ephod, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He, God, answered them, Pursue. Prayer requires both an ask and a listen. Not just a laundry list and go about our day. An ask and a listen. And if you're like me, you would read a scripture passage like that, and you're frustrated, like, man, if God answered me right away, I'd pray all the time. Remember, David has fashioned a character, a personality around the presence of God, being available and aware of him. I would suggest that God, who is Emmanuel, with us, is with you right now. He's with me, but my availability to him is limited. My awareness of him is often very limited because I'm aware of other things. I'm personally fastened to the fear. I'm personally fastened to the concern. I'm personally fastened to fill in the blank. When we begin to put all of those things in alignment, I do believe that you and I will hear the voice of God clearer and quicker than we ever have before. And finally, it says, He answered and pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out. Prayer insists on action. It's not just praying and, and listen, waiting on God and praying is not a passive experience. But hearing from God insists that we do what he says. Maybe it's chasing after an enemy. Maybe it's giving up something that you know you shouldn't be investing in. Maybe it's changing who you are. Maybe it's apologizing or repenting. But when we pray, it insists that there's going to be some follow through on what God speaks to us. In the book Leap Over Wall by Eugene Peterson, he comments on the same moment of Ziklag for David. I want to read this passage. He makes the point, there's an enormous amount of outrage in the world that's converted into angry plans of attack and destruction. A great deal of social action and political reform is fueled by anger. The results are nearly always worse than the conditions that provoke the action. If we're going to do something about what's wrong with the world, the spectrum of wrongs stretches from marital fights to world wars, from disobedient children to destruction of the rainforests. We have to acquire a better base to work from than our anger. David's strategy came out of prayer and counsel. He set out from a place of prayer to bring back the lost women and children. Imagine Jesus' example of being a man of prayer was less for us to see and more showing us a way that we ourselves can actually be. Imagine when the Bible says pray without ceasing, pray and don't stop, 1 Thessalonians 5, the scriptures aren't suggesting something we need to, we should do, or that we must do. The scriptures are offering what we can do. As opportunity today, I want to make a differentiation. I want to ask a question and then offer a consideration. To those who are listening to me and you're saying, hey, I'm just not good at praying. I don't like to pray. Let me adjust your ability and your affinity because I would disagree with you and say that you are extremely good at praying and you do it all of the time. When you think only about and pray into the future, it's called worrying. <laughs> That's prayer. 
When you think about and pray into only what has gone on in your past, it's called regret. And you're really good at that. When we invest to hear the voice of God and seek counsel for how we are to live our lives in the here and now, that is prayer. What do you do more? Worry, regret, or pray? They're all meditating, but from very different perspectives and vantage points and vectors. Most humans, here's my consideration, most humans have a sliding scale ranging from prayer to action, meaning some would just only pray but never do something. Others always do something but never pray. And there's a spectrum all throughout. Consider where you are on that spectrum and endeavor to move a bit this week. Maybe you're a do everything but never pray. Hey, how about we dial in a couple times of prayer this week? Maybe you're a pray all the time but never do anything with it. Never interact with anybody in love and mercy. Just pray, 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 pray and never give anything of yourself. Just let's move a little bit on that spectrum this week. If you haven't figured out, the practice for this week is prayer and meditation. And let me challenge you, church. Do what works for you. Just because those people pray that way and some go into a prayer closet and some do it this way and some do it that way, do what works for you. Some years ago, I started praying on my phone. I made a contact for Jesus. His number is 777-777-7777. He's never texted me back. That might be a little bit creepy, but it gives me a place to go to. I interact with my phone, as I mentioned earlier, a lot, and I'm trying to redeem some of that interaction. But it gives me a place to pray. Just like I text and have conversations with people, I want to text and have conversations with God. It also gives me a place to look back and see how he's answered prayers, how he's challenged me. It reminds me what he's spoken in my heart. The point is, pray in a way that works for you. Let me leave you with this benediction. May we traverse all these voices mingled in trials and tribulations with our God who wants to be with us. May we be people of prayer and action. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.